Well, good morning. I want to begin with a kind of a weird question this morning. Who here likes to be tailgated? Nobody, right? Oh, it's like the absolute worst to have somebody right on your bumper. Growing up, my mom, lovely Christian woman that she is, she hated tailgaters. And everybody who was behind her was a tailgater. She taught me the brilliant move of of tapping on your brakes or um, slamming on your brakes and then speeding back up real quick to buy some space, which always works, right? Or never. What if I asked you this morning, or what if I put it before you, that tailgating at some points might actually be a good thing? I would argue there is a moment where it is the exact right thing to do. And here it is. When you are driving with multiple cars somewhere where only you know where to go, and you say, follow me. You have been given the invitation to tailgate me. Stick close to me. I want the follower to stick close right behind me so there's no separation between the two of us. Not everyone is good at this. This requires a certain level of skill. It takes skill to be a follower in a car. Now, two summers ago, I had my whole family come on up, and they they stayed with us for a week, and we spent a couple days down at Good Harbor Beach. And from here to Good Harbor is one of the greatest intersections in the history of mankind. And as you're coming down to this beautiful spot, if you are not from around here, you will be positively confounded. So we're pulling down to this intersection, and my mom has been told, you know, stick close to me, follow me. I pull up to the intersection, and I'm waiting, I'm looking, and we only have to look for one direction of traffic to get to Good Harbor from here, by the way. I'm looking down around the corner, I'm thinking, there's space, let's go. So I pull out, and I'm looking in my rear mirror, thinking, stick with me, stick with me, stick with me. And I look behind, my mom pulls forward, and then stops. And then she pulls forward a little bit more and then stops. And then all of a sudden, there's 10 cars in between the two of us. I got to pull over to the side of the road by Charlie's and wait and do the awkward like half on the curb, waiting for them to come by. Will she notice me so she can get... It's like a total pet peeve of mine. If I have invited you to follow me, stick close to me. And I believe it's a skill that not everyone has. You have to learn to stick close to the example in front of you to keep your focus on them. So what if I told you this morning that as followers of Jesus, we have to learn how to be better tailgaters? <laughs> now, of course, I do not condone tailgating. Drive safe, everybody. Um, I'm also not specifically talking about tailgating that happens before a football game as well. Please be clear on that. But there's something about the principle of keeping those who know the way in focus and sticking close to them, that is exactly at the heart of our text today. And this is the question, are you good at following? This morning we're concluding our series that we've been doing this January on how to follow, how to grow as followers of Jesus. We've been taking this a very serious approach here at Community Church to think through how can we take steps to follow Jesus more and more this year. And we talked about the growth that happens as we gather as a congregation, as we sit under God's Word together in this place. We've also talked about the sharing of life and the serving that can happen as you join in a smaller group such as a small group. 
and the serving that can happen when you join together with a ministry team. We've talked through these different contexts over the last three weeks. And this morning, I want to talk about a place that we don't actually have a program for here at Community Church. But I would argue is one of the most important places. And it's a place that I hope and pray that we'll grow more and more into in this coming year. We're focusing on growing through one-on-one, life-on-life discipleship. And we're going to see this morning that our call in the text is to follow those who know the way. Our text this morning is one of many, many texts in the New Testament that teaches on the subject, but it's one that specifically and clearly talks about how this is a calling for each and every one of us. Returning to Paul's letter to the Philippians church, chapter 3, verses 17 through the next chapter, verse 1, 4, 1. You can find it in your Black Pew Bibles in front of you on page 952. I'll also have it up on the screen. But as I've said each week during this series, I would encourage you to continue to to bring your own Bibles with you to church. Have it be the place that you're turning to during this time. We are sitting under God's Word together in this space. This is the place that we turn to for authority, first and foremost. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 4 1. Hear God speak through his word. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach and their glories and their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, Dear friends, this is the word of the Lord. Paul begins with a rather arrogant statement, right? At least it feels that way at first. Join together and follow my example. Literally, he says, become fellow imitators of me. Who here feels comfortable enough to say something like that? Anybody? Everyone join together and follow my example. Oh, that feels just like arrogant, right? That's how we think. But I think that that is utter foolishness. I think there are many in this room who should stand ready to say, follow my example. If we think this is arrogant of Paul, then he must be a pretty arrogant guy because he says this no less than six different times in his letters. Maybe we should pay attention to that. Six different times he says, follow my example. Who does he think he is though, right? Does he think he's perfect? Let's read what he says before this. Verse 12, immediately before this, he says these words, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, 
forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Elsewhere, Paul says, I am chief among all sinners. He'd be the first to say, I am not perfect. Yet in our text, he unequivocally says, follow my example, brothers and sisters. And not only that, he says, follow those, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. He's not saying, I'm the only one who's got the the answers to the test. I'm not the only one who knows the way. No, he's saying, follow me and those who are like me. So let me ask, what is it about Paul? Like him in what way? What is it that we're supposed to follow about him? What was the Philippians church supposed to follow about him? What is it that Paul is doing and saying in this letter and others that the church should follow? And I think it's this very simple little phrase that he writes actually in a different letter that has kind of guided most of our series. It's this little phrase right here. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This is the model that has handed down the gospel from generation to generation down to East Gloucester. This model. It has transformed every church. Every church can trace its line back from those who they modeled, who they followed, who they imitated, who followed all the way back to Christ. This is our spiritual lineage. Paul had met Jesus on the road to Damascus and was forever transformed from that moment on. And he lived his life desperately seeking to follow Jesus as his example for what this new life and relationship with God as his son would be like. Who should we look to except for God's own son? And he boldly proclaimed over and over and over again in his letters, follow my example. Why? Because he was following Jesus. Because he was following Jesus. Paul's example is just of Jesus. And the leaders in the church who follow Paul's example are just an example of Jesus. And although his example is admittedly imperfect, it was accessible to the people. They could see his life. They could see the life of those in the church who were living as he was. And he was taking on this role of mentor. And he says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And notice that he calls them his brothers and sisters. He's calling them his siblings and saying, we together can press on together in the same direction with a common goal of knowing Christ. So what is it that Paul tells the church to do? He says, follow my example, but he paints it in very explicit on the ground terms. He says, watch. The Greek word is this, this word skopeo, which we get in English, this idea of scope. Scope. Like a microscope. To zoom in and focus on. To look closely at. He says, look closely at those who are literally in the Greek, walking with Jesus. Walking as an example for you. So here's the idea. Watch those ahead of you on the path. Watch those who know how to walk in the example of Christ. Those who are further along down the road. Watch them closely, is what Paul is saying. And this is the crux of what we're after this morning. It's not going to get complicated from here. This is it. 
Watch those ahead of you on the path. Learn to walk like Him and after Him. We don't don't have Jesus here in the room in the same exact way as Jesus was with His disciples. So how do we know? How do we know how to walk? How do we know how to follow? We walk like those who walk like Him. Paul lays it out. Look to the people ahead of you on the path. And Paul is, is saying that as we gather to wonder, what does it look like to grow as a disciple? What does it look like to live a life as a follower of Jesus? Well, for those who are further along along the path, commit to scope in on their lives, to learn from them, to learn from others who imitate Christ so that we can follow those who know the way. Now, we should do this for a couple of reasons, beyond just the obvious reasons that I've stated already. There's two reasons that Paul is about to go into. And that's what the rest of our text is. So let's be clear. Watching those ahead of you on the path is our clear takeaway, but we're going to get two reasons for why we should do that. And the first is this, because people get lost. There are many who claim to know Jesus who do not follow his example. This is hard to say, and this was extremely hard for Paul to say. Let's read the text again. For as often I told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Paul says that he is brought to tears as he is writing this letter. There are many inside of the church, and we know this is inside of the church because of his emotional response that they still live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, how would one live as an enemy of the cross of Christ? Well, they would hear the truth of God's salvation. They would hear the truth of what the cross means, and yet their lives reflect that it means nothing in practicality in their life. It means nothing to them. They do not reflect that they are now dead to sin in their former ways. And as Paul goes on to say, he he clearly says what this is about. Their God is their stomach. Now what does that mean, that their God is their stomach? This isn't explicitly about food. Worship of food. You know, it's not explicitly against gluttony. Though I think that lives there. But rather, the stomach is, is the metaphor for the place of where our appetites proceed from. The things that we crave and want in life. For those who have no higher authority for the way they live than what drives them from their stomach, their cravings. Their God is their stomach. They worship themselves through feeding their cravings and they serve their bodily appetites. And this leads to what Paul calls a shameful behavior. And are they embarrassed about this? No. Instead, they brag, they take pride in how they make themselves happy with destructive things. They broadcast and brag about the shameful indulgence and the physical appetites. Their glory is in their shame. And the reason why all this is because their mind is set on earthly things. Now all of this, Paul writes all of this to give a picture of those who stand in opposition to those who walk in the way that Paul does. Literally, 
in the original language, it's hard for us to see it in, in your pew Bibles in, in the NIV because it says live, those who live as we do. And it sets up against it those who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. But it's very clear in the original language, this is actually walk. Many who walk as we do. He's setting up a parallel, two different ways. The road is about to split. And he's saying, which way are you going to go? Paul places a fork in the road. We must make a radical choice between two different ways to live, a Christ-centered life or a self-centered life. And life as a follower of Jesus is not stagnant. If you aren't following, then perhaps you're losing sight of Jesus and wandering off a different way, a path of destruction. This is an extremely strong warning. And one that causes Paul's heart to break, and I think it should cause our our hearts to break as we stop and think about it, that we would settle, that some may settle for a path of destruction, for having their God be their stomach. It puts things in really visceral, crummy terms. But this is an earthly mindset. Or to put it another way, it's a way of thinking that puts Jesus completely out of the equation. It's living like we've never heard of him. The road splits and many will get off track. And don't go that way is a simple way of saying what Paul is after. And as we hear all that, we are supposed to be reminded to turn back to how Paul started. Scope in and focus on the examples laid out before you to those who know the way. Now Paul also gives a second reason why. We should follow those who know the way. And he lays out this beautiful picture that the destination is worth our focus. Let's read the final verses of the text again. It says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown stand firm in the Lord in this way. What a beautiful, beautiful reminder that the life as a follower of Jesus is not just painstaking hard work. Rather, if you've met Jesus and placed your trust in him, your citizenship has changed You do not belong to the old way. You belong to the way of Jesus, the kingdom of God, and we eagerly await the the day where he will make all things new, a perfect day of bright hope and joy. That is the certainty that we cling to. Jesus, who by his perfect power will complete what he has started in us and transform us so that we will be fully like him in every way. Our effort isn't going to bring this to completion, but Jesus will. So we press on towards Him to know Him, to know what He's doing in the world. And how do we do that? Once again, we turn back to the very beginning. Follow the examples laid out before you. Keep your eyes scoped in on Jesus. And do so by being scoped in on the examples of those who are imitating Jesus who are further along on the path. Paul motivates the church in Philippi, and we should hear this same motivation. To imitate him and those who walk like him, he paints these two pictures. This dark picture of a road that is set towards destruction. 
and this radiant picture of us who belong to the future triumphant return of Jesus, our Savior. And Paul concludes with language that couldn't be much stronger. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. We need to keep our destination in focus. It's worth our focus. And we do so by following those who know the way. Now, our text is pretty clear this morning. What should we do? We should follow those who are ahead of us on the path. But that's where things get kind of difficult in practice. What does that even look like? This is where we get lost. And so I want us to spend the majority of our time this morning focusing right here. How do we actually carry out the words of God in this today? How do we respond? How do we grow as followers of Jesus? I want to ask you this question. And I want you to seriously consider an answer. Who are your examples of faith? Who do you think of? And when I say that, I'm, I'm trying to bring to mind a specific person. Not an idea of a person, but a specific person or two or five. Who are your examples of faith? And if you can't think of anyone, perhaps the takeaway this morning is an invitation deeper into community to see more and more people around you. Or perhaps it's an invitation to humility this morning, to remember the grace that has afforded you, to recognize that other people in their imperfection may be a great example, even those who are younger. I want you to hone in and actually have a name and face this morning of someone who you would say, they are an example for me. Of somebody to imitate because they imitate Christ. Do you got somebody? Do you have somebody in mind? Now that you have somebody in mind, let me ask, how well are you able to scope in and see their life? How well are you able to scope in and actually see their life in order to learn from them on how they walk with Jesus? And by that I mean in order to scope in and see, you have to have perspective. You have to have a sight line into their life, a vantage point. And this requires a relationship. Right? This doesn't happen by casual observance from afar or by stalking from the bushes, right? The best views are not getting a good pair of binoculars and hiding out in the bushes. I wonder how they do that. No. And it's creepy. You've got to be welcomed in in order to tailgate them enough so you don't get lost on the journey. This requires a relationship. And this is why I don't hesitate to say that what Paul is describing here is something like Christian mentorship, or as we might just call it here, one-on-one discipleship. That's exactly what he's talking about. This has been a huge part of my own testimony. I've, I've had the absolute gift of having three different men who have poured into my life over the course of my walk with Jesus. They've committed to me in different ways and given me permission to look into their lives, to have a vantage point on their life where I could see what perhaps following Jesus could look like a little bit more and more. And I'm going to be forever indebted to those men. Absolutely. 
they gave me an accessible picture into what following Jesus could look like at different points in my life. And it was, despite their flaws and imperfections, maybe even because of some of their flaws and imperfections, they were so utterly focused on Jesus. When I looked at their life with a critical eye, it it was an opportunity for me to see what an example of Christ looks like. And I throw out these three different ones because the funny thing is that all three of them started in different ways. And I want to share with you about how all three of them started. Not to highlight that these are the only three ways in which a one-on-one relationship can start, but I think that they're typical. And I want it to maybe um, push you to consider this morning what this could look like in your own life. And I'll tell you about the first one. The first one was I was unintentionally noticed. One of the men who invited me to follow his example was just totally out of the blue. He noticed me and he invited me into a space to share life. And he made a commitment to me that we would meet up bi-weekly and we would share life together and I would have access to seeing what this could even look like. Now, unfortunately, what I've just described does not happen very often. And I think a lot of us have maybe even been hurt by never being noticed. And I think the reason why is because there's so far too few people who have the boldness of confidence to think they could even say, I have an example to follow. There are so few two people who would say, follow me. And I think what that is, is false Christian humility. And in reality, what's happening is it's called squandering an opportunity to notice somebody in need. There has got to be followers who are further along on the path who look back and notice others who are new, who notice others who are struggling along the way. I'm thankful that I had one. The second relationship, I asked to be noticed, and it was awkward, okay? One of the men who who discipled me, I had to initiate the whole thing by myself, and it can be kind of an awkward thing to start. It's almost like asking someone out on a date, would you like to show me your life a little bit? Um, it, and I've actually done that three times, and only once has it been accepted. So my fair warning is, you might get rejected along the way. But it was so utterly worth it. Sometimes people, who, who, people won't see that they are further along the road until you can reach out to them and say, I'm so thankful for your example in my life. Would you be willing to walk with me for a bit? That's the gist of that ask. And thirdly, I think this is the most common, I was working alongside of some people and I was being trained for a role. And I think this is the most common one we see in a church as you serve in a ministry team or as you get to know somebody. And this is the one that's kind of common in in business places. People are being trained and apprenticed into a role. But there's so much more that I was afforded than just on-the-job training. Instead, it was a committed relationship to intentionally grow one step closer to Jesus as we were serving together. And that's exactly what Discipleship at Community Church is all about. I share these three examples as a means of looking into three places that each of us should consider for inviting a deeper and hopefully perhaps committed relationship of one-on-one discipleship where you can scope into someone else's life to be able to see what does it even look like to follow Jesus maybe a little further along Who can serve as an example 
and the long line of men and women who have followed the examples before them, leading back all the way to Christ Jesus. This is for everyone. And I would urge you on all three counts, notice those behind you, be encouraged to ask those in front of you, and notice those you're serving with. On the first count of having people who would be willing to notice others, this is a call to every single person who has met Jesus. You stand qualified to disciple others. What qualifies you to disciple someone? That you have met Jesus. That is it. Now a new believer, maybe it doesn't make any sense to take an elder underneath their wing. Perhaps I will give you that. But I think so often what happens is we think we are un, utterly unqualified. And what happens is, is that we leave people behind without knowing where to go. If you have met Jesus, you stand qualified. Perhaps it's just to take your neighbor out, to share a little bit more about Jesus, just to share what you have experienced, what you have noticed. And I want to say this because I think the onus should be on those who maybe are a little further along down the path to say, it is so much less scary to notice somebody and say, would you be willing to just meet up and we can talk about life a little bit? That is your ask. That is your templated invite. Do you want to walk with me just for a bit? The Bible is actually extremely clear that older generations, this is a commandment to take the younger along and teach them the way to go. But who's older, right? Who's older? That's relative, right? Um, let me give you an example. And I've shared this before, so I apologize if I'm repeating myself. It's one of my favorite stories. There's an older pastor who's been discipling me for a couple years, Bill. I'm just so utterly thankful for this man in my life. He is 70 years old, but about five years ago, um, I went up, Leah and I both went up and we had dinner with him and his wife. And his wife was telling me the story about how a couple nights before that, they had had another couple over for dinner. And they had done this because at the time, the 65-year-old pastor wanted to ask an 86-year-old retired pastor to be his mentor. And I share that story because it illustrates for me how we never get done with doing this. That you never get to the place where you arrive and say, I'm done. Both for, for Bill, who's a 65-year-old man who's ready to retire and saying like, I still have more to learn. There's a guy who's further along down the road than me who knows the way and I have something to learn from him. And there's an 86-year-old man who says, I'm not just retired. You don't ever get too old for this. Young people, you aren't too young for this. This is one of those moments where young people who are still in the service this morning, I want to invite you. Who are you noticing? Who are you watching outside of your parents? I hope your parents are great examples for you. But who is showing you life? I hope it's your parents, but there are others in this room. Who can you follow who knows the way? This year at Community Church, we are going to try to begin to explicitly help equip our church to not only have context where we can have this conversation, but where these relationships can actually grow in their effectiveness. To disciple one another, to encourage one another to know the way to go. 
to do so with power and effectiveness and real transformation. That is a goal for us. And I want us to consider, consider how we can take this task very seriously, to follow those who know the way. And actually, it's not about just knowing the way. Actually, it's about who they know. It's about following those who know Jesus. My prayer through the fall as we were preparing for this series was that as we approached January, our church family would be ready with open arms to consider the invitations in God's word, to the beauty of lives lived in relationship with Jesus and with one another. The message that Jesus loves you, that he died for you, that it is not a work of your own, but the free gift of grace that God would make all things new and draw you to himself. That is the meat and the core of what we preach here at Community Church. And it cannot be stated enough. But my prayer is that this January, that we would embrace a next step picture as well. That Jesus has now invited us into new life, following him. That is an exciting invitation and that we would consider places even in our church family where we would seek to grow more and more as his disciples. This is not a place where we just say, Jesus is cool, now figure it out on your own. We want you to grow in concrete next step ways to take. Concrete next step ways to take as we keep in step with the Spirit. We talked about what happens when we gather under God's Word together. We talked about sharing life in small groups and serving together in ministry teams. And this morning, lastly, we talked about following those who know the way through something even like a one-on-one relationship. And I hope that you would hear these places not as, oh, just another place that the pastors want us to do and the pastor wants us to sign up for. It's not about that. It's about you and Jesus. It's about us and Jesus. And I hope you hear these places as invitations to committed relationships where we can intentionally grow together, to follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to hear his invitation as a joyful invitation to new life. Jesus says, come follow me. May you hear that freshly this morning. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, everything we've talked about for this past month has been about you, God. I pray that we would not be distracted by programs or specific invites or times or or dynamics of relationship, God, but that we would be focused on celebrating you, Jesus, that you have invited us into a life of purpose and meaning, transformation, that you would use us, even us, as broken vessels that we are, that you would use us in this world, that you would transform us, God. Hallelujah, we are so utterly thankful for that. We don't just stand here as sinners in need of grace, though we do, but as your sons and daughters who have been called forward to exemplify you, to share your gospel in this world, God. I pray that we wouldn't settle for anything less, Lord. Give us a willingness and maybe even an excitement and joy this morning to consider what following you more and more this year, taking one step closer to you, could look like Lord Jesus. 
God, I ask for your blessings over the efforts in this community, over those who are serving, who are leading, who are sitting in their living rooms, inviting and hoping that people will come and join them to look at you, to discover you more and more. I thank you for those places, God. I ask for your blessing over them, for your glory, not for ours, but for your glory, Jesus Christ. We pray all these things. Amen.